When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are live with the Thursday edition of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Kevin Parker is always with my co-host here, Scott Martin, here to talk about some things. Uh, well, we're we don't know how many games we have left. Let's uh, let, let's kind of start there. Ohio State's coming up this weekend. We'll do a short preview of it because uh, it's it's looking like the game will likely be played, but we're not entirely sure. Um, but the idea today was we got a couple games left. We're not sure how many games, but what what do we really want to see out of this team to maybe give us some hope for next year, whether that's a player, whether that's a storyline, whatever the case may be. And the great words of Bill O'Reilly, F it, we're, we're doing it live. Scott, how are we, bud? Oh, we're great, Kevin. Uh, MSU just beat Duke last night in basketball. Uh, as, as you've said, we're not basketball commentators. We will not uh, dive into that because neither of us would have any idea what we're talking about. But... I watched it. Great win. Obviously kind of a monkey off uh, Tom Izzo's back. And uh, it's another great day to be a Spartan. And uh, yeah, we're looking at another Ohio State game, which uh, we'll see. But we'll get into it. We're going to do some fun, some fun things. I'm actually going to tweet on uh, the Standing Room Spartans uh, account right now. See if we can get some talking points live. Like you said, we're doing it live. So let's see what we can get into. We are indeed doing it live. So yeah, like I said, whether this is a storyline, whether this is a player, um, what are, what are we really looking for? And I'm going to start just to kind of get it out of the way and, and we'll get to some of the stuff that's more on the field. I'll start with one thing I'm really interested in, in the rest of the season. And that's the transfer portal. <laughs> you know, we talked about this, like, I want to see what other guys uh, enter the transfer portal. I, I know we're going to get some more. And I know that Mel Tucker has already been vocal about uh, attacking this thing. So you know, I was taking a peek on here earlier, looking through on 24-7, like who's available right now? And I came up with four guys that are really interesting at the quarterback position specifically. Um, Scott, we were talking about this earlier today, but you have a couple guys. We'll start with James Foster. He's a dual threat kid out of, these are all dual threat quarterbacks because I think Mel Tucker has been pretty clear that he wants somebody that's athletic. Um, James Foster, dual threat kid. He is, uh, he's decommitting from Texas A&M or, or transferring from Texas A&M. Now the kind of common theme here is that these guys were all recruited by Mel Tucker or Jay Johnson, I guess would be more 
um, more what you're looking for. But kids were recruited by Georgia while Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson were both there, right? Jay Johnson, he wasn't the OC, probably wasn't completely in charge of the recruiting, but I'm sure he had a say in some of this kind of stuff. So um, you have James Froster from Texas A&M who's out there on the portal. You have uh, Jalen Maiden from Mississippi State, another like four-star dual threat kid, James Graham from Georgia Tech. These are all kids who had offers from Georgia while Jay Johnson was there. Uh, Quincy Patterson's another one. He's from Virginia Tech. Michigan State did have some interest in him. Uh, never ended up giving the the full offer, but you know there was some communication there, so maybe he'd be interested. Maybe Mel Tucker would be interested. But th- that's just kind of where I wanted to start to get it out of the way. Um, is there anybody uh, of these transfer portal kids, maybe somebody else that you've, you've seen come up um, that, that really gets you excited? Yeah, well, it's interesting. This is, you know, under D'Antonio, I didn't pay too much attention to the transfer portal, especially for incoming players, because it just didn't seem like an area where we were going to grab a lot of talent. But obviously, as you mentioned, that's kind of changed under Tucker a bit. He's made it very clear that he wants to hit it hard, like you said. Um, the interesting thing I've noticed as you go through kind of the guys that are entering the transfer portal is, you know, they always come with pros and cons, you know, sometimes when you're going through typical recruiting, you're looking at high school players, it's easy to focus on the pros. Obviously you're looking at, you know, what they do well, what their strengths are, what, where their potential is, but then you get into this transfer portal situation and most of them have like a, a few asterisks or asterisks to their game. Obviously take a guy like Dewan Mathis transferring out of Georgia originally committed to uh, well, actually I think it was like Iowa state, then Michigan state. And then I think there was another school between us and, and Georgia. Um, but so, I mean, a lot of, there was a lot of excitement around him as he was leaving high school, obviously is a highly touted four-star recruit ended up at Georgia has like 30 pass attempts. They were, it's, a, it's a pretty bad tape. I think a lot of Michigan State fans are kind of uh, on, erring on the side of passing on him. You know, I, I, there have been a couple people who said maybe, you know, and and that's what we I, you kind of run into with a lot of these transfer portal guys. So it's hard for me to, you know, pinpoint one guy and say he's the guy because if his tape looked that good, he probably wouldn't be transferring. You know, he'd be probably be playing at his first choice school. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting to see or it will be interesting to see how Mel Tucker um, values different parts of evaluating these players, whether he likes their tape or their size and their, you know, athletic potential, whatever it might be. Um, but we'll see. I, I do expect us to, to approach some quarterback options, whether that's, you know, around the end of the season or do you know, are, are we allowed to approach transfer portal kids during the season or do you have to wait till after the season? I don't think so. I, I think that's, one of those quote unquote rules that are probably very regularly broken. But I, I do believe that there's basically a point um, similar to the, you know, kind of recruiting black period where you know, everybody knows that that that's more of a myth than an actual hard, fast rule. But yeah. Yeah. Well, in any event um, we'll see. I mean, I, I expect over the next few weeks, we'll get more names in the portal um, if, if it is a, an unwritten rule or, for, or, or a followed rule that we can't approach them, then, you know, the approach I would imagine from the, the coaching staff is just to wait till the end of the season and see what names are sitting there. Um, you know, at that time, I also don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of time in the day-to-day schedule of, uh, 
coaches at this point in the season to be evaluating transfer portal kids. Obviously the recruiting is still happening behind the scenes, but you know, you don't really put in your heavy recruiting push mid season. So we'll, we'll see. I expect that conversation to pick up probably around bowl season or even after, you know, the national championship going into next year. So I'd love to see them bring somebody in, if nothing else, just to add some pressure to the guys we have and give us an extra look at another guy. Um, Obviously, we've seen a couple, a little bit of what we have on our roster, and it's not particularly promising, even if you project it out to another year of experience. So we'll see where we get. Um, I don't necessarily, like I said, have a darling at this point, um, but hopefully yeah. we will bring in some extra talent. Yeah, I thought it was fun, like just because we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks here. Like, yeah, we got to attack the, the transfer portal. And I thought it was a fun exercise to just like, OK, let's actually sit down and go through some of these names and try to find one or two that might be realistic or interesting. So the first time couldn't have put actually a couple names out there. Of course, Mathis has been a big one. Um, I, I'm not sure that's somebody that we're going to be really going after, but let, let's kind of go back to this actual team um, as far as on the field or, or anybody that's actually currently involved with Michigan state. Scott, where do you want to take us first? I mean, as far as you know, looking at are, are we holding off Ohio State until uh, end of the show, or yeah, we we'll we'll now? do the uh, we'll do the preview at the end here. It'll be probably pretty short. Again, we don't really know if we're going to be playing, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But yeah, I mean, as, as far as you know, where we're at this season and kind of what we want to see you know, going into the rest of the year. I mean, first and foremost, I want to see this running game continue to to improve and sure up. Um, we, as a lot of people know, had probably our best, definitely our best performance of the year against Northwestern on the ground. Um, and I think we talked in our post game on uh, that dropped on Monday that it wasn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily look like the running backs had taken as much of a step forward as much as the offensive line did, which I think personally bodes a lot better for our future than if it was just a breakout game for a running back. Um, obviously, Chris Kapilovich, I've you know, I've been very high on him throughout this year since he got hired. I think he's he's got a lot of potential and it's great to see that coming along um, and the pipeline's growing. So, I, I mean, whether it's against Ohio State or, you know, Penn State at the end of the year, whatever game we, we, we play next, you know, that'll be my first kind of focus area to see how they respond, whether they can string together a couple solid performances in a row. Yeah, and it's, man, I... I... I want to feel confident coming off of last week. Obviously, you know, we talked about it. Northwestern, you know, 195 rushing yards, four yards of carry, both highs for the season by quite some margin. And it's like, man, is that a launching point into, you know, this is going to be a pretty effective run game the rest of the year? Or is this something where, hey, you know, we just, we put the magic game together and figured it out because, you know, when you look ahead, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll break down this Ohio State game specifically, but it's an Ohio State defense that Nebraska ran on them pretty good, but everybody else has struggled. I mean, Penn State only ran for 44 yards against them. Indiana, another team that has struggled to run the ball all year, had minus one. So it's going to be really interesting. But yeah, I mean, Ohio State, Penn State, and then whoever the crossover over game lines up to be, whether that's a, a Purdue, a Nebraska, uh, that's certainly going to be one of the things we're looking for is, is can we kind of keep this momentum going on the ground? And I don't think either of us are asking for six yards a carry, 250 yards a game, but 
something like the Northwestern game where we're just able to, to churn out some first downs, get some five or six yard chunk plays and, and keep this thing rolling. Now the, the running back position, I think is interesting kind of on that topic. Um, assuming Jordan Simmons comes back sometime in the rest of the year, do you expect him to, to take that lead role back over? I know he was never the three down workhorse, but do you think he's going to be getting the same, you know, percentage volume of carries he was, uh, before last week or, or did Connor Hayward kind of establish himself as the number one? It's, it's a tough question. I mean, in the press conference after the Northwestern game, uh, or maybe it was the midweek press conference, but in any event, this past week, um, Kapilovich actually came out and said he expects us to go back to a three running back rotation. Um, so I do expect Simmons to be obviously back in the fold. Um, I don't necessarily think they're going to push Hayward for m- more carries than what we saw against Northwestern or, or even necessarily more carries than what he was getting in previous games when Simmons was in the lineup. Um, Simmons, I think, has shown the most promise just as a down-to-down back running the ball. Obviously, Hayward's going to be a big part of the offense because he does so many different things well, um, obviously, in the passing game, in the pass blocking, uh, everything like that. And it seems to see the field well out of all of our running backs. But I do think they want to align kind of the future of the program with Jordan Simmons being that bell cow back. Um, Eli Collins will still be in the mix, but again, Eli Collins still seems to be finding his legs this year. I thought 32 had... carries for 56 yards. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's rough. And actually I thought this past week he had a couple runs that showed a little bit more burst, a little bit more vision um, than, than in previous games. But even still, I just don't think he's shown enough to take carries away from Simmons if he's back. And even Connor Hayward actually had a pretty good game on the ground with some small gash plays against Northwestern. So I do think Simmons will probably maintain a similar role, depending on the nature of his injury. They may protect him as a younger player. They may not want to get him too many hits near the end of the year uh, just to protect his body and make sure he he starts off this uh, big, obviously freshman to sophomore critical off season for him on a good foot. You know, you don't want to be nursing an injury in a critical off season like that. So uh, we'll see, obviously, um, and we'll see what the kind of the game flow allows. You know, if we're down big, we're not going to be running probably with anyone. And the last factor to consider is that Rocky Lombardi was more involved in the running game. And they said in the press conference after the Northwestern game that that was uh, a big part of the game plan. So it wasn't just something Rocky was seeing on the field. It was something they game planned around. They want to get more involved. I think probably just to develop more of an overall threat at the quarterback position. Uh, without, you know, we want to give them something to think about from quarterback other than just our passing threat, which, you know, most of our fans know is not particularly well-rounded. So will Rocky get more snap, um, you know, called run plays and will that take away from the running backs as a whole? We'll see, but uh, definitely interesting to see. I think Jordan Simmons has a lot to, um, to build on. I think he's shown good spurts so far. And, And like I said, I think as a general pound green pound bell cow back. I think he probably shows the most promise at this point. Yeah. I I'm really interested to see. I think that'll kind of go back to similar as rotation wise. I think similar to where it was before the game, Connor Hayward was getting a lot of snaps the whole season. So it's not really going to be a huge change for him, I think, but I don't know that that running game is going to be really interesting to follow. Like I said, I was like looking at the stats when you were talking and 
I, man, if you told me before the season that, you know, here we are five games into the season and Eli Collins is 32 carries for 56 yards. I, I don't even know what I would do. That's what like 11 yards a game. <laughs> I mean, I definitely would not have seen that coming. So um, I want to go, I'll take this to the defensive side of the ball. And this is going to be a pretty vague comment. I know. Um, but Scott, I have a, a quick trivia question for you. Hopefully oh you boy. don't have the stats pulled up right now. I'll take them down. How many Michigan State defenders have intercepted a pass this year? That's a good question. I, I'm trying to think of guys I know have caught an interception, and Shakur Brown's the only one I can think of. Shakur Brown is the only one on the team with an interception, and he's also tied for the lead in college football with five interceptions. I thought that was kind of a, a weird, you know, one of those statistical anomalies. Like you, one guy has five picks, a huge number. Like if you have a three interception season, that's that's a good year for a defensive back as far as forcing turnovers. One dude has five already, an average of one per game. And nobody else has one. I thought that was interesting. But that's not where I'm taking this. The, the general point here is that I really want to see some playmakers continue to uh, emerge on this defensive side of the ball because we've talked about Antoine Simmons is gone, man. Jacob Panishuk is gone. Naquan Jones is gone. I think those are the three guys that really make this thing tick, uh, that really make this, this defense go. Xavier Henderson probably will be back. He will be kind of that senior leader next year that I think we're looking towards. But, man, you brought up Angelo Gross on Monday's episode. Uh, I saw an article on The Athletic from Colton Pouncey, um, and he was kind of detailing Angelo Gross's really breakout game and and how he was able to do this. But I I just want to see more playmakers, man. I want to see some guys who can really – Deshaun Mallory has established himself as a guy who can really wreak havoc from the middle um, and get some pressure on the, on the quarterback force, you know, running games into, uh, you know, bouncing it outside um, and, and really disruptive in the middle. Jalen Hunt showed some of that as well. Of course he got hurt last, last week. I don't know what his status is. Michael Fletcher started to emerge a little bit. Um, and we've had a couple of these defensive guys like Kalon Gervin. He's got plenty of eligibility left, of course, gross. Um, who are some of these guys who are going to continue to establish themselves as people to count on next year? Because I think there's some exciting pieces. I think we can all agree on that. But even a guy like Noah Harvey, who's probably going to be penciled in as, as the linebacker next year, I'm far from sold on him as, as a consistent starting linebacker in the big 10. So I mean, who are who are we going to count on in 2020 and beyond, 2021 and beyond? That's kind of really what I'm looking forward to in the next three weeks here to see if some of these younger guys can continue to impress, continue to show some consistency on that side of the ball, whether that's a defensive back, defensive lineman, linebackers, any of them. I'm just looking for a couple playmakers. Yeah, I mean, to break it down by position group, I mean, I think our – I wouldn't necessarily say our strongest, but our, our, well, maybe our strongest, but our most uh, already well-developed position group on the defensive side, I would say is the secondary. You mentioned Xavier Henderson. I think it will be his defense next year um, as a whole. I think he'll play that 
almost the Antoine Simmons role we're seeing this year where, you know, everything runs through him. He's the one diagnosing the plays, getting everybody set. Uh, obviously you want to lean on the linebacker as well, but Xavier Henderson has been sitting back there now for two seasons, watching defenses or watching offenses and, you know, getting to know our defense probably better than anyone from that position. Um, and, and it will be his defense, but I mean, this cornerback group, and I believe we're, unless, you know, somebody goes to the NFL, which at this point, I don't, necessarily think any of our corners are there well you'd look at Gervin or or Brown are really the only guys old enough I think but I don't think either of them are developed enough no, um, no. to consider that obviously Shakur Brown like you said has the statistics to make it look nice but he's just not ready for NFL wide receivers yet so you're bringing all three of those guys back and we'll see what Angelo Gross becomes we'll see if he's even the slot guy going forward I mean Chris Jackson's still in the fold and hasn't looked bad but he also hasn't kind of jumped off the stat sheet or jumped off the television as you watch the games as much as Angelo Gross did last game. So we'll see kind of how that position develops. Um, but I mean, you look at having Gervin and Brown coming back next year, I think for, as a one-two punch of cornerbacks coming into next year, it's going to be hard to find a unit that's more well-prepared and ready to really lock down the conference in the Big Ten. Um, there may be more talented guys out there, maybe more talented recruits, obviously Ohio state's constantly bringing guys in, but as far as a, a, you know, a, a combination of talent and experience and especially experience playing together as a unit, I think the combination of Gervin and Brown is going to put our defense in a phenomenal spot to, uh, shut down deep plays, shut down wide receivers and really shrink the field for the offense. So I expect those two to have a, a great season again next year. Obviously corners can only make so much of an impact being on the outside. Um, but then, you know, moving to the defensive line, like you said, it's kind of hard to predict exactly who is going to be the top defensive lineman or top two defensive lineman next year. Even trying to project any of the starters next year is kind of hit or if miss. That, but If that even matters, right? They, they've been rotating so much that right. I don't know if there's necessarily like the starting group, right? Right. Yeah. And the nice thing though, even though you don't necessarily know who's going to be the guy next year, um, I'm very confident in this group. It, it more than probably any other position group on either side of the ball, we have seen production and disruption from the youth in that unit. You mentioned guys like Mallory hunt uh, camper's been making plays. Beasley's been making plays. Um, Fletcher, like you said, is starting to come on. And, and Slade really, has had his moments. Slade, yeah, he had those two not-so-offside, offsides penalties. But other than that, I mean, he's been <laughs> knocking balls down. He's been getting in the backfield, making a couple tackles for loss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Michael Fletcher, too, I, I want to note, really seems to fit the bill physically. I was, I mean, I, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to him before the Northwestern game, but I, I noticed him out there as he was getting more snaps early in the game, and I was like, whoa. Like that he's, dude's he's built got like that, freaking like, Hercules. Man. Golston, Shalit Calhoun, like you see him on the field. Uh, Sean Oakley from Baylor, for those that remember the famous picture of the coin toss uh, at the Cotton Bowl when we played them. You, you see him on the field and you're like, I don't know anything about that guy, but he's probably good at it's football. The, because... It's the first guy off the bus type of player. Yep, right? he's, exactly. he's the guy you send off the bus right after the coaches to, to really send a message. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see, like I said, where the production comes from next year and even at the end of this year um, and, and how, how they all develop. But I mean, I mean, Michael Fletcher, six six two fifty, playing outside as a freshman, 
you know, you'd expect him to put on probably 15 to 20 pounds of muscle in the freshman to sophomore off season that I was talking about earlier. Um, yeah, this, this position group, I'm really excited to see them develop. It was a huge question mark coming into this year, but the, the openings in snaps and in spots on that defensive line this year have been filled with a lot of names that I, I think a lot of guys, a lot of people were probably caught by surprise. I mean, I, a guy like Deshaun Mallory, you know, you're like, okay, you know, he'll probably be good in a couple of years. We'll get him some snaps, see what he's all about. All of a sudden we're getting production from him. He's got two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks this year. I mean, all across the line, I've been really surprised. And, you know, we, we knew we'd be leaning on Panashuk and Naquan Jones and neither of them have had bad seasons, but I've been surprised by the fact that the majority of big plays and eye popping plays that I've seen from this defensive line have not come from those two. So um, really excited for that group. The one group that you mentioned before uh, is probably the biggest question mark going ahead and looking in the next year is the linebackers. Um, Noah Harvey and, and as of late, Chase Klein have done a pretty good job filling that gap next to Antoine Simmons. But, you know, if you look at next year without Simmons, if it's Klein and it's, um, I just said his name and now I'm blanking. How is that possible? <laughs> anyway, you look at next year's uh, def- uh, linebackers. It's, there's a lot of questions. Sorry, marks. I was I mean, muted there. Noah Harvey. <laughs> Noah Harvey. Thank you. Noah Harvey. I mean, he's, he's the bigger body, a good run stuffer, but is he okay in coverage? You've seen um, Chase Klein come out on third downs and even more early downs actually last game uh, to pro- provide a little bit more speed and coverage. But then Chase Klein, is he big enough to play a role inside and take the beating of an every down big 10 linebacker going up against running backs in the big 10 and, and not just running backs, but offensive linemen, you know, it, they're built different. They both have question marks. Um, I think a, a full off season in a new scheme will be obviously very valuable to them, but, um, and then do you see new names emerge at linebacker? You got guys like uh Hightower coming up, obviously great name. Um, and I know there was a lot if, of hype around him and there's, if Devin Hightower doesn't become like an all big 10 type player based on the, the linebacker name, Devin Hightower, I I'll forget everything I know about football. <laughs> absolutely i mean so yeah we'll see we'll see and and there's there's obviously some freshmen now that are on scout team or i, I mean you wouldn't call it red shirting this year because there's no red shirting but guys that we really haven't seen on the field i mean they've really especially with the two linebacker system and with antoine simmons playing just about 100 percent of the snaps we've really only seen a ro- consistent rotation of three guys at linebacker this year so we really don't know what we have in the quiver um and we'll see like i Great said word. it's a question mark Maybe uh, maybe next year the linebacker group will be like the defensive line this year really, where young guys will really uh, catch us by surprise. We'll see. But, um, yeah, like I said, I expect it to be Henderson's defense. I think the secondary and the defensive line will be really, really strong going into next year, returning a lot of experience. And then it's just about filling those key roles at linebacker. Yeah, I I, I don't know how to feel about the linebackers because I do, I do like Chase Klein. I think he's made an impact pretty much – most of the snaps I think that we've seen him on the field but he hasn't been getting a whole lot of snaps and I'm not sure if he's kind of the traditional off-ball linebacker they've been playing him a lot kind of off the edge blitzing so you know does he have that in his toolbox to you know kind of sit back in coverage or or play a traditional linebacker role where you're going in filling gaps in the running game I'm not entirely sure I don't know maybe they're seeing something we don't um, I mean, do they do they move Darius Snow down into a linebacker spot? Does he put on a few more pounds? 
Um, you, we talked about Devin Hightower. Cal Holiday was the other linebacker recruit from uh, this last class. As far as I remember off the top of my head, I'm checking right now, but I don't think we have a linebacker committed in 2021 as we currently stand. I know that's been kind of a talking point. You know, we missed out on Jamari Budden. Um, there was another, there's another guy I'm blanking on the name that that's um, we're in the mix for here that that'll be announcing soon. It's um, there, there are a couple intriguing names out there, but yeah, we, we got to find somebody cause Antoine Simmons has been the guy. Now the good news, I guess, is that we're kind of transitioning to this two linebacker system. So I guess it, it's one less guy that you have to figure out, but um, yeah, that that's going to be a huge part in, in establishing this defense for, for next year and moving forward. Yeah. One last name before we move on from the, from the linebackers to keep in mind is Cole DeMarzo. Um, he's currently a true freshman on the team. He has not played any snaps. He hasn't touched the field yet. He's a little undersized listed at six foot or six two two hundred. So obviously that's maybe one of the reasons why he's not touching the field yet, but he was a three-star recruit. There was some excitement around him. And actually just this last week, he was one of the scout team players of the week, which I know doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot now, but it does at least say that he is impressing the coaching staff. Um, you know, he's, he's opening some eyes and making some plays on the scout team. So um, maybe a name to keep in mind, another one kind of in the pipeline. Uh, and as we get into, hopefully, if we have a spring game this year, uh, we'll see obviously some more snaps and where kind of, if you want to call it a depth chart, where that's, where that's coming out. But uh, yeah, a lot of openings at linebacker and a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity for these younger guys. Yeah. And I guess to, like to wrap this up for me, and then we'll, we'll get into this Ohio state game a little bit. Um, I guess, you know, the last thing I'm looking to see is just some more consistency from this pass catching group. And they've shown a lot of talent. And, and I guess that's why I'm kind of excited here is because we know they're talented, but there hasn't really been that level of consistency between Naylor Reed Ricky White, it was a seems like just a flash in the pan against Michigan. Like I, he's barely been on the field since then, let alone actually touching the ball. Um, the tight ends have been nowhere to be seen. Obviously, they were both out this last week, but it's um, I, I just want to see more consistency over the course of these last three games. Trey Mosley is finally back on the field against Northwestern, but wasn't really involved. So th- that's kind of where my last point goes to is. You know, who's going to be taking the rotations when when these guys are all healthy? Now that Trey Mosley is back on the field, you know, does he start cutting into some of these touches from from Reed or Naylor? Does White still find a way to get himself involved with Mosley? Because all of these guys are going to be back next year. And that's kind of one of the interesting things with this wide receiver group is that they're all young. They're all going to be back from, I think every single one of them will be back for multiple years, not only just in 2021. So kind of continuing to see how this group is going to shake out, who's going to be getting the priority targets, who's going to get getting the priority touches in the red zone on key third downs. Uh, I'm really interested to see kind of who emerges of that group to be the consistent playmakers, not just the, you know, Hey, once or twice a game, we can count on this guy for a deep shot. No, who's going to be there on third down. Who's going to be there in the red zone that the offensive staff and the quarterbacks can consistently rely on. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. And and to be fair, I, I don't necessarily think we've had enough consistency at quarterback to really put all the onus on the wide receivers to be putting up production. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously no, I, we'll be... I certainly agree. But you know, in fairness to the quarterbacks, again, like there have been drops, there there have yeah. been plenty of mistakes on both sides there. So yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, the passing game obviously is going to be a key focus this off season, uh, both from who's throwing it and who's receiving it. So anything else before we jump into Ohio state here? No, I mean, I'm excited. Obviously this season is, uh, you can put as much or as little weight into it as you want, given everything going on, but just getting reps and seeing these guys and seeing how the coaching staff is kind of developing them and using the roster has been, been great. And the more reps we can get on the field, the better, even if it's against an Ohio state team that we'll get into who may or may not, you know, put up 50 on us. (laughs) So yeah, let's, let's talk about Ohio state. So number one, I, you know, usually we go into this and I'll give you the, the breakdown of the team of their stats. And I don't know, like we, we kind of know what's going on with Ohio state that they're a great team. They always are a great team. They're four. No Ryan day does have COVID. He, he tested positive. So it's not just the, you know, he's on uh, on a list because of close contact or anything, um, so I would expect if we do play this game that Ryan day will not be on the sideline. Now, which of the players are going to be on the sideline? That's where this gets interesting because Scott, we, we talked very briefly before this. Uh, if, if Justin Fields is, is in the game, I don't think that it really matters who else is out, but let's say Ryan day I think this is where the interesting talking point is because I think most of us would agree we're not going to win this game with a healthy, fully loaded Ohio State. But let's say Ryan Day, this is totally hypothetical, but hey, we're previewing a game that is currently hypothetical because we don't even know if it's going to happen, so why not? Let's say Ryan Day and quarterback Justin Fields both out. You're losing your you're losing your head coach, you're losing your play caller, you're losing your quarterback is Ohio state still that much better than us that they win this game or that they win this game even can, uh, you know, at, at a pretty uh, blanking on the word here, but by a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, nobody has attempted a, a pass for Ohio state this year other than Justin Fields. So not only do we not know what kind of talent would come in behind him, we don't even know the name that would be on the back of the Jersey of the number two quarterback. So I mean, it's hard to project from that perspective. Uh, what I would say is there have been more than one instance in the past where an Ohio State quarterback has gone down with an injury, and the next guy up has thrown for 500 yards and six touchdowns and won a national championship. <laughs> Cardell Jones comes to mind. I believe uh, JT Barrett did the same thing to Braxton Miller when he went down. So yep. it's, I'm not confident that like, oh, they're their quarterbacks out, so they're screwed. Like that's not. Would there be some growing pains in the first quarter? Maybe uh, Shakur Brown picks, gets another pick, whatever it is. Uh, but that's no, the I, funny I think... thing about Ohio state is it's, it's not even like a, will there be growing pains? Probably it's uh will there be growing pains? Maybe we're, we're not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're just so fully loaded and they have so much talent at every position group that they're so insulated from one guy going down, even at the, you know, pivotal and and critical position of quarterback you've got such a strong offensive line and running game to take the pressure off their receivers are constantly getting separation they've got big tight ends who make mismatches all over the field so it's 
I mean, would the score be the same as if Justin Fields were in? No, I doubt it. I doubt whoever it is would, would put up the same production as Justin Fields. But would it be enough to, you know, even the spread in this game? Absolutely not. They just have too much talent around other position groups. Um, would it be exciting? Sure. Would we, would it give us some false confidence? Absolutely. You know, wake up Saturday morning. You're like, Oh, Justin Fields isn't playing. I'm all in Spartans <laughs> on the money line, but don't it's put always, the house on it. It's always fascinating for me, you know, for people who've listened that we've talked about it quite a lot. So, you know, like I, I wager uh, small amounts in, in the sports betting world and it's always amazing the the decisions to move betting lines depending on who's not playing for example this week uh indiana's taking on wisconsin uh going into the week we thought michael Penix was going to be fine we thought michael Penix, the indiana quarterback was going to play the news breaks that he will not be playing and the line only moved three points so what you're saying is that michael Penix, potential big 10 player of the year star quarterback threw for 500 yards against Ohio state at an Indiana school. That's not recruiting at the same level as Ohio state, their quarterback goes down and the, the line only moves three points. So is Michael Penix only worth three points to this Indiana team? Like it's always staggering how they affect these lines. So like if Justin Fields isn't playing, you know, the, the line is currently 23 and a half does that line move down anywhere more than three points? Like, I don't, I don't really know. Does an Ohio state team with a backup quarterback, are they still a 20 point favorite? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just impossible to predict. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see how the money line is affected. I don't think it was affected at all losing Ryan day, which is obviously a totally different situation because he's a coach uh, and not a player, but he is the offensive play caller. And we talked about this a little bit before, um, you know, he's been their offensive coordinator, their star offensive coordinator for a few years um, and play caller. Now he's the head coach, but I would say still de facto offensive coordinator as well, being the one that calls plays. So um, that it, and that's actually one of the things I'm most interested in seeing is does their approach change at all? We talked a little bit before if they see, you know, success early in the game with their basic, you know, 10 play, 15 play set it's probably not going to matter who the offensive play caller is because, you know, they can just run that set and, and have success. But if, you know, Michigan state shows early in the game that, Hey, we're ready for kind of your base package. Uh, we're making it hard for you. You have to make adjustments. That's where the coach that's calling the plays and that's calling the shots kind of makes more of an impact, right? What adjustments do they make? How do they shift things around? Do they change their personnel? Do they change their packages to, to exploit a different mismatch on the field? And, I mean, it's really, really hard to predict what that impact would be, uh, but it is something to keep in mind. I mean, if, if, you know, like I said, if our defense puts them in a tough spot in the first quarter, they're not getting the production they expected. How do they respond? And is that the same thing Ryan Day would have done? Um, exciting to see. I mean, it adds, I guess, a storyline to a game that otherwise may not have been the most exciting thing. So we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, so we're, I, we can talk about Ohio State. We can talk about Justin Fields, this passing game with, uh, obviously Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, these guys that are just first round NFL draft pick type studs. Uh, their running game has been not the same as it was the last few years with JK Dobbins, but master Teague, Trey Sermon, they kind of combine to form a really strong running attack. They go for eat. They each go for above five yards to carry. Obviously we know the defense is good. They don't have that 
Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young type impact player, but they have plenty of guys. I mean, it's it's not an Ohio State defense that's gonna that you're gonna mistake for for an average run of the mill team. I, some people have scored some points against them, but you know, don't let that fool you. They got plenty of talent. Zach Harrison's supposed to be that next big pass rusher. He's still a freshman. He's still working his way through it. So um, it, it's, look, there's not, again, we're 23 and a half point favorites. There's not a whole lot of reason for optimism, but I guess if we're trying to give one or two things that we could exploit here before we give our predictions, like they have been beat through the air a little bit. I, we talked about Michael Penix. Uh, he threw for 491 yards and five touchdowns against him a couple weeks back. Uh, Penn State, uh, Sean Clifford had a little bit of success at times. Now it was mostly as a result of um, his his wide receiver, John Dotson, just making ridiculous catches. I don't know if you remember that one-handed catch uh, right in front of the end zone. Uh, yeah. So it's good. It's going to take some special plays, but there is a possibility of letting up some big plays. You know, Sean Wade, their first round type defensive back, he was basically playing at nickel his whole career at Ohio state. And he was projected as a first round pick, second round pick ended up coming back this year to, to kind of prove to NFL teams like, look, I'm going to play on the outside. I'm going to line up against their best wide receivers. And I'm going to show you guys that I'm not a borderline first round player that I'm a top 10 player. And he's struggled. He, he's struggled moving to the outside. So maybe that's where, where they can be exploited. He's given up a couple big plays and obviously our passing game has shown the ability to make a couple of big plays down the field. So you kick off a game early, you hit them deep with a Jalen Naylor 75 yard touchdown, like we did against Northwestern. And you know, whether that's realistic or not to hit another one early in the first quarter like that. But I guess that's the recipe is, is you try to launch one deep, you try to beat these corners who, who are, they're athletic, they're, they're talented, but you know, they're, they're young, they're inexperienced, and they've shown the ability to be beat deep. You hit a couple of those deep balls early. And, and I'm talking, we have to do it early to throw a couple punches in there and, and show them that, you know, Hey, this isn't going to be another blowout. That's, I guess the recipe is you get them on the ropes a little bit early and, and hopefully they, they panic without their head coach that that's kind of where my head goes. If I'm looking for a reason to have some faith here. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, let's say it's, you know, Monday, Sunday, we're recording and, and, you know, I, I ask you what, what went right? Uh, how did, how did this game, how was this game close? I'm not going to say how did Michigan state win this game, but <laughs> let's not how, even go there. <laughs> how did they keep it close? You know, how did they keep it within a couple of scores? You know, what, what worked for us. And I think it's on the offensive side of the ball, the story, the only way that's the story is we found some success in the running game uh, enough that they have to keep, you know, a safety's eyes in the box. You know, they got to keep their strong safety looking at our running game, considering where's the running back. You can't necessarily, you know, the defensive lines getting blocked decently well. We're opening some holes. We're getting some five to 10 yard rushes enough to keep them honest. I'm not, I don't think we're going to blow the doors off with our running game, but enough to keep them honest, which gets you some one-on-one matches on the outside matchups on the outside. That's the key. You have to get those safeties 
away from playing just cover two all day, just backing off, playing over the top, bracketing the outside wide receivers. Um, you have to bring those safeties down into the box to open up one-on-one matches, matchups on the outside. And then, like you said, it just comes down to are those deep balls there and are our wide receivers ready to make plays on the ball? I think the ball skills of our wide receivers have been probably better than expected given their size. I mean, we don't have like the big Felton Davis guys who are going up Moss and anybody. Um, they're just getting in the right position against their one-on-one coverage to put themselves between their man and the ball and bring it down. Uh, we saw it over and over against Michigan, but when that safety's over the top and they can bracket, it just gets shut down very quickly. Um, and if those safeties are playing deep, we have to be able to exploit the running game at least enough to keep the chains moving, get into field goal position, maybe have a couple drives where we actually find the end zone. Um, and then obviously <laughs> it comes down to the defense. I think I think we will contain the running game. They don't have that home run runner like J.K. Dobbins this year. You know, you mentioned Master Teague, who's had a good year, but he's not going to outrun your defense. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's a plotter. Second... He, he gets right. you 7, 15 yards at a time. He's not a big yeah. play guy. He'll get you – he'll get into the second and the third level and will obviously have to tackle well, but he's not the guy where if he breaks behind your linebackers, you're like, oh, no, if he makes one move on a DB, he's gone. That's not what it's going to be. So – that combined with the fact that our front six, seven, whatever you want to call it, has looked better and better as the season has come along and has started to shut down the running game and get a lot of push. Um, if you can shut down the running game, then it just becomes Justin Fields, presumably, against um, our secondary. And our secondary has had phenomenal games this year, and our secondary has had iffy games this year. And, you know, which version shows up? I don't think it's necessarily a matchup thing. I think it's just more of how they feel when they get up to the field and how, you know, the game comes to them that day. I, I think they they're playing with tremendous confidence, the combination of gross Brown and, and Gervin, they all look ready to take on one-on-one battles, but they haven't lined up against Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who are arguably, you could argue the two best rec- receivers in the big 10 this year. I think there's obviously some more names in there, but they're in that elite tier of wide receivers in the conference. And, especially having two of them on the field at the same time at that elite level, it just puts a lot of pressure on those outside. Yeah. The last time we saw something similar was Wap Fillier and Ty Freifogel against Indiana. We know how that ended up granted (laughs) without three of our best corners. I know Jackson and Gervin were both out. Trey person was also out in that game. So that certainly makes an impact, but you know, that's kind of what you deal with when you're playing against this caliber wide receivers that can just go out there and make plays. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm drawing up the running back or (laughs) the running back, if I'm drawing up the game plan, um, you know, on the defensive side, you shut down the run and you force Justin Fields to make throws against our tight secondary. He probably can, but you got to put it in that basket anyway. You can't let him be two dimensional. And on the offensive side of the ball, you have enough success in the running game to keep their safeties honest and make some plays in one-on-one coverage on the outside and just let the dominoes fall where they will. Obviously turnovers are huge. Any big momentum shifts like that, big plays are huge. Um, and if you're going to pull off a game like this, you need quite a few things to, uh, to fall your way, but um, is it going to happen? Probably not, but is there a recipe to make it possible? I suppose. Yeah. And so I, this is a huge one for Ohio state. Like this is, Kind of what what scares me the most is that Ohio State is looking like, you know, this game is in question right now. Again, we talked about that. 
Michigan just shut down their facilities. So next week, their game against U of M is also in question right now. Now, you, you know, you can, uh, you can say what you want about uh, there. There were some reports, rumors, speculation about uh, Jim Harbaugh finally finding a way to beat Ohio state and end their season uh, by, you know, basically disqualifying them for the big 10 championship and keeping them out of the playoff. Um, now, you know, I, I, knowing the psycho competitor that is Jim Harbaugh, there is no way in hell that that's what's going on there. This is the same guy that we, we read stories about like spiking basketballs back into you know, his daughter-in-law's face because they're playing a game of 21 in the driveway. Like this isn't a dude that's about to go out there and stop competing at any point in his life for whatever we want to say good or bad about him. You know, I, I don't really think there's any, anything about those rumors, but regardless, this is an Ohio state team that has to go out there and win and win impressively because even if they do finish off this season, like normal, that's still a seven, what? they'll play five, six, seven games and yeah, slate for the, the college football playoff committee to try to figure out, is this one of the four best teams in the playoff? Now, I think if, as long as they get to six and they're undefeated, I think the playoff committee will find a reason to put them in, but it's, it's again, Ohio state, they played four games so far. The Indiana game was by far their biggest like resume win. That was a top 10 Indiana team. But as far as kind of the perception, uh, the national perception of the committee members and how they view that Indiana win, I don't necessarily know if they're going to view that as a big top 10 win at home. It was an Indiana team that, you know, hey, Ohio State had that game in the bag. They had to, Indiana clawed their way back into it. It, I don't know if it really left that bit nice taste in your mouth like a normal, you know, win against a top 10 team would. You look at the rest of their schedule, man, Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, these are all bad football teams this year. So Ohio State knows that they have to go out and, and not only win, but win convincingly these last couple games, however many games that they do get, if they're going to want a shot at a national title like like we know that they were fighting for to even allow this season to happen. Ohio state was one of the two teams that was really fighting for this because they knew this was a potential national championship season. So they're going to have to go out and win, win impressively if they want that to happen. So the current line, as we sit here on Wednesday afternoon, we got a 23 and a half point favorite Ohio state over under 59 and a half. Current weather reports are looking uh, cold and sunny in East Lansing on Saturday, about 35 degrees, uh, but we shouldn't have any rain. We shouldn't have any real weather problems. It'll just be a little chilly out there. Um, I, I think that this line is, is done pretty well because I think you're losing your head coach and your play caller. I, I do think that is significant. But also, I do think that Ohio State is, is a significantly better football team. So I'll start this thing off. I'll give you Ohio State 49, Michigan State 20. So I think this is going to go way over. Uh, I think, you know, what's the over-under is 59 and a half, 49, 20. That'll be 10 points over the total. I do think that Michigan state's going to find a couple deep balls against this inexperienced secondary. And I think that we will be able to put some points on the, on the board as a result, 
but I do think that there are probably going to be a couple turnovers on both sides that give up good field position that punch in a couple easy touchdowns. I just think this is going to be one of those games that does get out of hand, but is relatively high scoring that we do put some points on the board. So I'm going over, I'm going Ohio state to cover. Uh, and you know, we'll see how that plays out for me. Scott, why don't you wrap this thing up for us? What do you got? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously the, the Spartan green optimist in me wants to uh, wants to find a reason to, to shake things up and put something out there that's uh, maybe not conventional to what this matchup looks like, but it's, it's hard to, I mean, when you look at our offense, you just, it's hard to believe we're really going to get, and I mean, we'll get some points. I agree with you. It's just hard to believe we're going to get enough to keep up with a team like Ohio state, regardless of what happens on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think we're going to break 20 points. I'm going to put us at 17. Um, and, and on the defensive side, I mean, I think we'll make some plays. I think we will get at least one interception from Justin Fields. Uh, if he's playing uh, book that. And, and I think the cold will slow him down. I mean, say what you want about weather, but you know, <laughs> playing in the cold, playing football in, in freezing weather, it's really hard to just, you know, get the gears turning and play fluid football. So I think they're going to be relying on their ground game a little bit more, which should shorten the game a little bit. And, uh, and keep things a little bit slower and more manageable, but I think they will find the end zone more than enough. So I'm going to put it at Ohio State 38, Michigan State 17. That's 21, so that is a cover for the Spartans. Hey, I love it. Uh, so actually, we kept this thing pretty timely. I think this is like the first time in our co-host <laughs> history that we've kind of come up with a time before the podcast. We usually, you know, a little peek behind the curtain for the people they usually end up about an hour when the two of us are talking. Cause we really get going. I swear to you, every single time we sit down we're like, all right, this will be about 45 minutes. That's our sweet spot. That's what we're looking for. And we nailed it today. I think we did a pretty good job for the first time. So uh, that's kind of one of the benefits of recording at this time on a weekday is, is we got shit to do. So um, let's get out of here. Hopefully we get a game this weekend. Just, you know, I do, as much as it might be a painful game to watch, I do want to, you know, continue to see this young team grow and develop under Mel Tucker. And uh, hey, why not? Who knows what can happen? We've, we've seen us go into Ohio State before with a backup quarterback and, you know, crazy shit happens in college football. That's why we love it. Um, Scott, any good words to the people before we click stop? Uh, stay safe, find the positives, enjoy it. Um, you know, don't go in with high expectations. Just appreciate that we get to watch football this year and we get to see our team against uh, a great Big Ten measuring stick like the Buckeyes. So uh, Saturday will be fun one way or another. Go green. Yep. Classic example of hope for the best, expect the worst, and hopefully it'll be somewhere right in the middle. So have yourselves an excellent weekend. Hopefully we get some Spartan football. And uh, we will catch you on Monday to talk about whatever happened. Stay safe, folks. Have a great weekend. Take care.